Lord, of this weekend, of all the weekends of the year, we're so grateful for the freedoms that we have. And as we remember those who laid down their lives for us, and as we wrap up Easter this week, we're just ever so mindful of your great love for us, which surpasses even theirs. Lord God, we ask as we look at this text that you would unveil for us the truth there within and that in so doing, we might be encouraged in you and the reality of your grace and truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love Memorial Day weekend. I got to confess to you, it just, it just brings back not only warm memories, but I just love this time of year. Uh, in Virginia, where I grew up, the firework stands were up when we got out of school. I mean, it was ridiculously late because you didn't start school. You had to get so many in because it's the Commonwealth of Virginia, you know. And so Memorial Day gave me light at the end of the tunnel, you know. It was awesome. And you either had a, a Little League baseball game to play, and then we had a cookout, or all the kids in my neighborhood played in my yard, and then the parade came by. And it was just a warm memory of my childhood. My dad, who could have marched with the vets, chose not to, as when the veterans all came by, you know, dressed in their uniforms, we were clapping for them and what have you. And it was just, just a wonderful, wonderful time. But what was best of all was the pool opened. On Memorial Day, huh? Yeah, yeah, man to a pool. It was great. My dad was the president of the pool association, you know? And so, you know, I had to go, you know? And sometimes, sometimes I liked it and sometimes I didn't, you know? But uh, it depends what I was doing. But there was one time, now you got to remember my family dynamics now. My sister's 10 years older than me. My brother's three years older than me. And I am the constant source of their mockery. You know, and it's, 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 and that's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a victim because I gave plenty back. All right. And so my, I'm about five, four or five years old and all this long line of kids is, are, is on the low dive, which I've come to realize that springboard Olympic thing. That's like three meters, right? It's, it's three meters. And then you got the 10 meter high dive. Is that right? You diving people. All right. Anyway, so there's this long line on the low dive and I thought to myself, yeah. I'm going to do that. So I got in line, and everybody looks down at me like, you really want to do this? Yeah, I do. So I got up on the diving board with this long line, about 20 kids, and I walk out to the end of the board, and I froze. <laughs> my sister and my brother are, are kind of laughing at me. The rest of the kids are calling me chicken. You know, I'm just like, this is a lot higher than I thought at four or five years old. But my dad went to the lifeguard and asked if he could jump in the middle of the diving well area. And, and the, you know, being a reasonable person, the lifeguard let him. So my dad is right there below me. Like every parent who's ever taught their kid to jump off the diving board, held out his hands and said, Gene, just jump. You'll be fine. I've got you. You know? You don't have to dive, just jump. You'll be fine. Keep your eyes on me and just jump right here. Come on, on three. One, two, splash in the water. Everybody goes, yay, finally, yeah, great. Um, 
as well as just hugged my dad and what have you, got up, got back in line. <laughs> got back in line. And so I came up to my turn, and he, my dad says, do you want me to get in there again? No, I got it. I got it. So then I jumped, and I did a cannonball. Got back in line. Next time I got up on the board, I did a can opener. That's a huge splash. You know, next time I, I, I ran off the board and twisted. And just any creative thing I could think of doing, I would do. And at the, toward the end, I was diving. I was actually trying to jump and then dive like the board's designed for. It was so liberating. I was free at last. I thought, this is phenomenal. Great. And I can do big splashes like the big kids. To walk with Jesus Christ is truly liberating, my friends. And this is what John is trying to get across to us in this passage. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John 21 because there's two great truths for each and every one of us that we need to get down right now. And for those of us who are playing Christian or perhaps just seeking, I want to encourage you gathered here today. Not only is this a liberating call to follow Jesus Christ in the way he's called us, but secondly, it's true based on the eyewitness accounts. So let's look at this. You know, the stage is set. Coming off of last week's text, Peter has been fully restored. Peter, fully restored, and been given three commissions to go feed the sheep. Tend the sheep, translated, serve me, Peter, in the way I've called you to. And so, Peter, they're walking, obviously, at some juncture here, and he notices the young buck, John. Remember, John is the youngest of the disciples, the 11 remaining disciples. James's brother is a little older than he is, and there's a great fondness that the whole company has for John, who is, as we know, the author of this. And so Peter turns around and says, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, good old Peter. He loved Jesus with all his heart. He'd been restored, he'd been commissioned, but he was still Peter. And Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's the first point. Every single one of us have a liberating walk with God that's ours. Okay? It's your walk and nobody else's. All right? He's basically saying to Peter, don't concern yourself with what I choose to do with the lives of any other of my servants. You keep your eyes on me. Follow me. What is that to you? Don't you love the frankness of our Lord? What is it to you? That doesn't sound warm, cuddly phrasing to me. He was not discouraging Peter's interest in the welfare of others, but he would rather the unhealthy habit of measuring one's lot with that of others, which is a habit that we all can fall into, right? A passage in C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy beautifully illustrates this, if you've read it. The boy Shasta is conversing with Aslan, the Christ figure in The Horse and His Boy. 
And Aslan is recounting his sovereign workings throughout Shasta's life. How he was the lion who drove the jackals away while Shasta slept. That he was the one who comforted him among the houses of the dead. He was the one who propelled the boat that bore him to the shore to receive help. As Shasta listened to this, reflecting on the lion's sovereign claims, he suddenly questioned, then it was you who wounded Erevis, his friend. Aslan says, it was I. But what for? He asks. Child, said the voice, I'm telling your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. See, each and every one of our lives, my friends, is a sovereign creation of God. Our worth and our effectiveness, God's favor in our lives, is not to be determined by comparing it with others. We are not to be involved in unprofitable ponderings about the relative providences of our lives, how others have it easier than us, others have it harder than us, or how one church is fraught with struggle and another is not. They're just flourishing. Look at them, how goofy they are, yet there's 5,000 people going there. Or why one believer becomes well-known and another remains obscure. We each are called to ask ourselves, what is that to you? You follow me. Eyes on me. No matter what a situation, Jesus calls us to that. And below the surface of these words, as harsh as they sound, is graceful and beautiful meaning for Peter. Because this stemmed from the fact that the very first command that Jesus gave Peter was, follow me. Oh, Peter was a little younger then. But he had no clue over those three years when he first heard follow me of what he was in for and what his journey was going to be. But how those words now took on much deeper meaning than when he first heard them from Jesus. Peter had been in Gethsemane. He had denied him three times. He had witnessed him at Golgotha. And he learned the necessity through all that of following Jesus. What is that to you? Eyes on me, follow me. So my friends, you don't have to compare, so stop it. Will you joyfully trust Jesus Christ and follow him with us? That's the first point. And we do this two ways. We do this by trusting in him alone keeping, and keeping that trust in him no matter what and growing in him, pursuing him, doing the disciplines of the, of the Christ follower and, and what have you. And secondly, we do that together as a community. You can't do that in isolation because you've got to get out of your head, right? You know? Especially we, our older saints, you know, you get out of the house. You know, you don't want to live in your head all the time. 
because that's not always a healthy place to remain. And so, my friends, as we do those two things, it's a life that glorifies God. Because I've noticed there's three liberating truths. This is so liberating. When, what is that to you, Gene? Follow me. I mean, it really woke me up this week, you know, because I'm guilty of this. You know, because I, I know some people who can't preach their way out of a wet paper bag, and they're pastoring 5,000 member churches. I go, what is wrong with me, Lord? Shut up. What is it to you? You follow me. You see what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right here. But the reality is why this is so liberating is for several points. Number one, our particular walks are all and callings are all varying. Look at this crew we got here. I've mentioned this in Easter time before. Peter, the loudmouth, impulsive, you know, extrovert times 10 guy, well-seasoned, probably in his early to mid-30s at this stage of the game, along with Nathaniel, the introvert, the contemplative one, sitting under the tree, just sitting. When's the last time you sat under a tree and just sat? That's Nathaniel. He's, the, he's, he's that kind of guy. And then you got the young guys, James and John, the sons of thunder. We've talked about this before. They're the guys that are a little, because of their immaturity, are impulsive. We heard the story in John's gospel. Lord, they didn't believe you. you let's call down heaven and we'll just zap them, you know. Wouldn't that be awesome, Lord? Do it, do it, do it. Really? No, that's James and John. And then you got Thomas, the empiricist. See, if God is real, he's got to prove it to me. I have to experience it. Okay? And what's happened here all along the way is Jesus has for them. He's met their needs wherever they've been because our, their particular callings all will vary and God can use them. Secondly, the measure of our giftings will vary. You know the parable of the talents. Some get ten, some get five, some get one. You know? And you might think to yourself, well, I only got like a half a talent. Run with it. <laughs> you run with it. It doesn't matter how much you don't have. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I mean, he's writing the Corinthians saying, y'all aren't very smart. That's what he's saying. You, you know, and we didn't approach you with great wisdom like those teachers out in, in, the, in the auditorium that teach like you. We didn't come like that. Because in Paul's view, he only had five talents. Paul was a ten, by the way. But the point is, you take what you have, and you don't compare it with what others have. You run with your one, or your five, or your ten, whatever God's gifted you with. And last, but not least, the measure of our sufferings will vary. Some of us look at people who've endured great suffering in their lives, and we go, man, I, I don't know how I could do it. That's right. You don't know how you could do it. Because... That's not your cross right now. What does it matter to you? You follow Jesus. And vice versa. 
You know, wow, they've had it so easy. What does it matter to you? You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what they're like in the, in the, in the quietness of their prayer closet or just the quietness of their soul. What does that matter to you? You follow Jesus. It's a gracious command because, quite frankly, my friends, there's no greater life than following Jesus because Jesus paid the toll for every single one of us upon the cross. And so this gracious command rings out. So if you're a newer Christian, it rings out for us. It's Christ's abiding command. So respond to it in the level of your understanding. If you're a seasoned Christian, if you've been through the wars, it's still the same. Perhaps seemingly infinitely more complex, but it's still the same. Eyes on Jesus. Follow me. And God is glorified as we do that. That's the first point. The liberating calling of following Jesus. Secondly, we see the liberating truth of the gospel. Because John, in verse 24, speaks of himself as the testimony. This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. See, the truth can be viewed two ways, historically and personally. First, historically, in many of the things that Jesus did, especially during his ministry with his disciples, identifying with their needs, submitting to death upon the cross for all of us, demonstrating lasting friendship to his disciples, lingering long enough during these 40 days to stabilize their relationships that he had built over the three years he had ministered among them, and the effects of what Jesus did for those disciples these 40 days lived on long after he was gone. He, and his presence in their lives, inspired them to follow him. And we're going to see their ministry in a couple weeks and the, the infinite beauty that their lives had upon the world. Because they kept their eyes on him and followed him. That's the first point. That's historically. But there's a second way to view truth, and that's personally. It's more than just some dates and facts out of a history book, isn't it? Because when Jesus is the subject of our study, notice what John writes. All the books of the world couldn't contain everything about Jesus Christ because he's God. When Jesus is the object of our love, our lives change dramatically and there is no end to the beautiful story our lives can tell. It's one thing to go through the Luke like we have this year or John these last few weeks. It's another thing to have the book go through you. It's one thing to intellectually grasp Luke or John It's quite another to have the message grasp you. And when the message does grasp us, every chapter of our lives are better than the one before. Because it's liberating 
all the stuff that our world tells us is important isn't important. It just doesn't matter that much, does it? I mean, men may speak well of you, doesn't matter much. They may hate you, it doesn't matter much. If you have a lot of things, it doesn't matter much. If you have little things, it doesn't matter much. If you're persecuted or lied about, it doesn't matter much. If you're famous or unheard of, it doesn't matter much. Why? Because this is true. You are valued. And God truly paid the toll for each and every one of us. That's the personal side to this historical fact that we need to grasp for ourselves. So if you find yourself this morning, you know, and your faith has been nothing more than intellectual knowledge, and it really hasn't impacted that your friends, your family, really don't even know you're a Christian, why not surrender it all this morning? Surrender it all. Why not, what is there to gain keeping the one who is life at arm's length? What is there to gain in that? If you do belong to Jesus Christ, ask yourself perhaps these two questions. First, how has this Easter season, these post-resurrection appearances, these last six weeks, changed you, formed you, And in what ways is God calling you to grow in him? Eyes on Jesus. What is it to you? Follow Jesus. Because this testimony is true. And if you filled all the books in the world about it, you wouldn't be enough because Jesus is God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For this wonderful passage which reminds us that our callings are all individual, our experience is individual, our callings will vary, the measure of giftings vary, that the measure of our sufferings vary, and yet you're the one who loves us and is full of grace and truth. And I pray for those who have kept you at arm's length and it's been intellectual knowledge only. That this would be the morning they turn it all over to you. We believe we're sinners to the core, Lord, and we ask forgiveness for all our sin. And we turn our lives to you. To do with as you wish. And Lord, for those of us who or more seasoned, who have followed you, who've, who've been warmed with the reality of this resurrection this Easter season, I ask, Lord, that we would continue to grow in you, to follow you, to encourage one another, and to glorify you all of our days. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>